The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. We're not allowed to have fun anymore. So lieu of fun, let's at least not be bored. Come on, Greek chorus. It's different platform. Yeah. Long, long it, was. it was a long time ago, I feel like. How do you guys know each other? Yes. We're both in tech. Yeah, we're both law professors. Yeah. All law professors know each other, Scott. Oh, God, we're live. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It is Wednesday, April 13th, 5.04 p.m. Eastern Time. And we're not allowed to have fun anymore. And we're not allowed to have any type of professionalism because I'm running the show today. (laughs) And so instead, we have Blake Reed. coming to us live um, from Colorado Law School. Uh, Blake, welcome From to flyover country. From nice flyover to be with country. you. It's so nice yeah. to be with you. Um, Blake is actually calling to us from his parents' basement, uh, <laughs> where he has lived for most of the pandemic. No, I'm just I, kidding. I feel like I have a parents' basement. Like, this is a parents' basement. It's not my well, parents' basement, Well, you just kind basement, of look very teenager-esque and kind of, like, gamer-esque with, like, you're kind of fitting the tech law, like, um, meme you got like your headphones you've got your like you've got your hat and like your really thick glasses and like your hoodie and so like honestly you could be like 22 for all i know and like <laughs> you could I, be a I'm dog glad to, that um, is what i'm aiming for I, i'm glad i have that stereotype i feel old so this is nice to know that's not not what's coming across um anyways i wanted to so Blake and I have been part of a really fun um, content moderation small workshop. We spent a lot of time together in the last couple of months, kind of like working in this workshop. And Blake has opened my eyes to a ton of really important tech accessibility and just accessibility and disability law stuff that I was not aware of. And it has been a tremendous learning experience for me, including the fact that he sent me right before we came on to the show, a link to Crowdcast, how to enable closed captions in the Crowdcast thing. And I'm like, holy fuck, how have I never done this before? I'm such a jerk. Also, I am such a sucker for closed captions because I have bad hearing. And so I can't ever, like, I always have to read everything to understand what's going on. Um, so like now I'm going to do this and permanently enable it. Um, and so this is like exactly the type of thing that I'm so glad. And specifically, um, I will say that there was one recent current event that happened yesterday, which was the horrifying shooting in Brooklyn. And one of the things that kind of came out of one of the minor things that came out of that was that that shooting, which was two block, two miles down the road for me, um, in a subway station. Um, one of the things that people were commenting on, and I retweeted this, was Justin Hendricks said on on Twitter, basically like this is can you imagine the stampede that happened and if you were in a wheelchair and if there was no like kind of elevator that was enabled like which is frequent and a lot of they will run shuttles between subway stations but a lot of the subway stations are not handicap accessible and it kind of just got me thinking about blake and his work and so i thought it would be a really great moment to bring on blake and have him talk about the clinic he's a clinical professor of law at um, Colorado University. And so like, take it away, Blake. Tell us about kind of how you got interested in disability law to begin with, and then tell us what it looks like to work from a clinical perspective in that. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's um, it, it's a strange path. I think a lot of, a lot of folks who work on disability law have a, a really deeply personal connection, have a disability themselves or identify as disabled or have a family member who identifies uh, as disabled or a close friend, that kind of a thing. Um, and one, the reason I got into it was I, I started a clinical fellowship right out of law school um, down at the First Amendment and Media Law Clinic at, at Georgetown, which is now the um, Communications and Tech Law Clinic that my colleague Laura Moy runs, who, who is super fantastic. Um, 
Um, and it's actually, it's a cool clinic. It actually has these roots back to doing communications law back to the civil rights era, back to the 1960s. Um, and so they, this, this clinic sort of got its start in the, um, the part of the, the civil rights era advocacy to make sure that systemic racism wasn't being perpetuated on TV or are starting to, to address systemic racism on TV. So there are a lot of TV stations that would deny um, black candidates, for example, access to buying advertising or cut to cable trouble every time Thurgood Marshall showed up on, on TV. And so the, the sort of predecessor to this clinic was all about um, like bring license challenges against these stations and allowing the and are helping the the communities of broadcast basically go challenge and say hey our 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 candidates are not not getting on TV they can't advertise they can't participate in the process so anyway there's this long civil rights tradition and when I started this fellowship the first thing that landed on my desk I, I don't know anything about disability law um, but I got this rulemaking uh, for internet protocol closed captioning. Uh, which is part of the um, this this law that most folks I think have never heard of. It's the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. It's kind of a 21st century update to the ADA. And among other things, it was the first law that that really directly addressed having closed captions on on the internet. And so I sort of inherited this rulemaking. It was like the first project that I, I did as a lawyer of this big coalition of deaf and hard of hearing folks. Um, and uh, kind of went down the rabbit hole. The CVA has all these rulemakings that stretched on for five years. So I ended up just working at the FCC on these issues forever. Um, and I've kind of continued down that, that rabbit hole ever since. Um, sorry, did I answer both of your questions? Yeah, I think so. Scott, go ahead. I, I'm sorry, did you want to go, GD? Uh, I didn't mean to. I, I, so, um, so that's really in, interesting. Are, are you... Were you saying that despite the fact that people who work in disability law normally have a personal rela relationship, were you saying that actually that wasn't the case with you, that it kind of just landed in your lap? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. I, 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 I that wasn't a, a career that I had pursued. I was kind of a telecom lawyer, copyright lawyer by by training, and um, sort of landed in this the subject matter area by by happy accident. If that do makes you, sense. Do you think um, that that makes you a stronger or weaker advocate, or perhaps um, it's neutral or? Well, I, it's something I think carefully about all the time. And as a clinic professor, it's something I, I, I spend a lot of time talking with my students about because right. many, many clinical students don't don't identify as 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 being disabled either. Um, it's one of the things that when we're working on behalf of a community, and I think this is true for anybody that does clinical advocacy, when we're working with and, and for a community that we're ourselves not part of, we have to think really carefully about what our role looks like in that situation and how how to be careful not to sort of insert our own perspectives and our own sort of views of situations and and present the sort of arguments that, that we feel um in, instead of the communities and it takes it takes building relationships and it takes careful listening and question asking and understanding to 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 get to know what different communities are, are what their preferences are and how they how they feel about the issues that we're working on um, but the you know the one thing that I think is helpful is I think I spend a lot of time in internet law contexts with folks like Kate who we're, we're talking about these broader internet law topics and I think it, it, it could be helpful to be kind of a bridge between um, disability communities and and the the broader sort of set of internet law issues, which don't often pick up on disability and accessibility themes. And so to understand, hey, what we're talking about over at the FCC when we're talking about closed captioning actually has all these relationships with you know, reform of big tech or content moderation or censorship and, and all the, the sorts of things that we argue about over there. So I think it can be really helpful, but negotiating that relationship is something I think about all the time. And it's just, it's kind of a constant. So one of the things you mentioned are the relationships with the different communities and different communities, as you said, have different preferences. Yeah. Um, do you find at times that the different communities have, um, 
perspectives that are at odds with one another, especially in terms of content moderation? And how do you balance the equities? Yeah, um, you know, it's a, it's a really good question. I think for for for, uh, for students that come into the work for the first time, I think there's the and and frankly, for a lot of policymakers and a lot of folks we work with, they sort of think of like the disability community as a monolithic community, as though there is only one, um, and, and that's really not the case, right? Um, people with different disabilities and different combinations of disabilities and different sorts of kind of categories of disabilities within broader categories or people with multiple disabilities. There are lots of kind of complex and rich and overlapping communities and folks totally come to the table with different perspectives, different values, different understandings of how to approach accessibility problems and different perspectives on what kind of language we should be using and different ideas about you know how to how to sort of tackle these problems so for sure there are there are conflicts and differences in how um and how people approach these issues I, I like to think about there's this case um, that I always have my students read um, called MPA v FCC and the the details don't matter but it's this case where the their the broadcasters and the movie studios and the cable companies are suing the FCC over these audio description rules audio description is um, kind of a parallel to closed captioning for folks who are blind or visually impaired it's reading you know visually what's happening on the screen kind of kind of describing it aloud and so the FCC passed some rules and there was a lawsuit over it and the the kind of three most prominent blind organizations were actually split on it and were on opposite sides of the litigation with two of the organizations joining with the FCC and two of the organizations joining with uh, the broadcasters and the and the movie studios and the the details are not important but to say like you know, negotiating those coalitions and making sure everybody's on the same page is not always easy, right? Um, and, uh, you know, there are lots of things that can lead to that fracturing. And I think that's part of movement lawyering in general, right? You're always, coalitions are always fragile, right? Um, you, you've always got to get people to, you know, sort of see past the differences or work past the differences and say, this is the sort of common ground that we share. And it doesn't always work, right? Um, so yeah, that's that, that's a, a constant uh, negotiation as well. So what, so, I mean, it kind of seems like every advocacy movement has a split in it um or mm -hmm. has many fissures in it about like but can you explain a little bit more like are there clear demarcations or like relatively clear demarcations within like the disability and accessibility rights movement that like are invisible to the rest of us who don't kind of aren't immersed in this world like i it doesn't even occur to me yeah. like kind of where like to like where the split would be of like two different disability groups like advocating on the like on different sides of like it seems and i'm not i know this is naive but like it seems like a straightforward pitch like and so like i'm just kind of curious what you think yeah and i mean that's a pretty exceptional case i think usually it's not thinking about disagreements as much as how to set priorities, right? And uh, different communities have different needs and there are a huge number of accessibility challenges, right? So um, if we think about, you know, accessibility on the internet, right? We talked about closed captions, obvious uh, obvious priority um, for the deaf and hard of hearing community. Think about audio description and website accessibility, screen reader compatibility is issues um, that, that the blind and visually com impaired community often advocate about. You know, often folks get left out of the conversation from the cognitive and intellectual disability communities in terms of, you know, the use of algorithms in ways that discriminate, right? That's that's another one. Um, increasingly, as we start to think about augmented reality, virtual reality, you're going to think about physical and mobility disability communities that get left out of those conversations. Um, you know, just to give you another one, um, thinking about the the shift over the course of the pandemic to video conferencing, like like what we're doing here, um, it, that's a a huge boon for people um, who are immunocompromised and and identify as as disabled as a result of that, or have other disabilities for which like working from home is is something they've been advocating for for 20 years right and 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 constantly been denied it now it's it's normalized 
But then it's a huge problem for folks who are deaf or hard of hearing, or can be a huge problem for folks who are deaf or hard, hard of hearing because a video conferencing platform doesn't have closed captions, right? So there are all these questions about, you know, how do we spread all the sort of limited advocacy resources and how do we how do we address all of these multifarious problems which are often not addressed by the market you know how do we how do we deal with them and how do we prioritize them and how do we get the industry to come up with solutions and all those kinds of questions are so i, I think it's less conflict you know it's, i think it's pretty rare we come across it and think boy there's only one you know we're, we're gonna we can only solve this in a way that works for for one community and not not another but a lot of times it's like there's just more more barriers than we have the resources to deal with and so it's what what gets prioritized and what gets attention and and that's i think kind of the hard part uh, so I, I was um wondering if you could I know it, it, it's probably a hard thing to do, but identify what you think is like the biggest like whole lacuna scandal. Like, I like lacuna. I like lacuna. That's that's our preferred term over here. Okay, right, right. Um, um, uh, in terms of uh, how we as a society um, accommodate or not accommodate the disabled. I mean, I think the biggest like overarching thing that I see is, I don't know if you want to call it a lack of education or a lack of understanding, but when we think about the kind of discrimination that Kate and I often talk about when we're talking about online platforms in general, we're talking about um, whether it's uh, you know, platforms deciding what kind of speech to allow on or algorithmic discrimination that, that you know, results in disparate impacts for, for different kinds of communities, that kind of thing. We're generally thinking about like overt discrimination, right? We're, 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 we're talking about a platform taking specific steps to, you know, uh, whether we're arguing about conservative bias by the platforms or, you know, hate speech or whatever, we're talking about active sort of discrimination most of the time. And I think when we talk about accessibility, we're talking about a kind of discrimination that's almost never overt or never like on purpose. Yeah. It's it's unintentional, right? And it, and it's and it's like we never thought of that or we didn't know about that or when we were making this product, like it never occurred to us that that's a problem. And from a like discrimination theory perspective, it's just as bad, right? Like the consequences are 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 just as bad. But I think the interventions look a little different because it's like most most folks that you talk to, you know, that are working in tech companies, you kind of have this conversation. And they're like, oh, we didn't realize this. We didn't think about this. And they go through these kind of stages of realizing the, the shortcomings in their approach. And I think for the most part, they eventually get religion on the on the problems. Right. They eventually get to a point where they say, oh, we need to take accessibility seriously. We need to start working it into our products. But the question is, how do we filter that down to all the startup companies? How do we filter that down to computer science education? Mm. How do we filter that down to everywhere else that technology is is being developed? Um, and it, it's a really hard, hard set of questions. So I think that that sort of how do you get people to embrace this early in the life cycle of products and services is a really challenging problem. What uh, would you would you? I'm sorry. Just would, would you? I, I, this is a, a terrible question to ask someone, um, uh, but I'm going <laughs> to ask it anyway. Um, <laughs> did you? Did you just? You, I, no, I was great. frozen on mine, so I, so did I, I? Did I take myself away? There, I'm back. Oh, yeah. Cool. Oh, sorry. Okay. I was okay. like, I was yeah. like, oh no, I was. Like, I won't ask. Okay, I won't. <laughs> it's such a terrible question. I have to go away. I, yeah, I, <laughs> you have I'm to hide. Ask an easier question then. Okay. <laughs> or, or ask your harder one. It's okay. No. It was about elliptical curves, but uh, oh. <laughs> uh, so, uh, let me let me ask you the the do you, do you think that as a, like thinking about the United States of America, do you think we do um, an adequate job um, with accessibility or do you think it's 
um, compared to other developed comparable countries, we are, we're, we're lacking or sorely lacking. Yeah, that's a really good question. The elliptical curve one would have been. been <laughs> right, I know. We, we, I, I'm a computer scientist too by training, so we could, oh. we could talk about cryptography if you want. Uh, okay. um, but, yeah, um, it, I I think it's a hard question because different countries take different approaches, and I think they're different different places of of strength and and different different places of weakness. Um, you know, I I think about I I think about this less comparatively between you know what country is doing the best and i more think about what's what are we doing compared to what we need and and how do we set the standard of what we need i kind of think about equitable access and hmm. equitable access to what i think about all of the platforms and services and products and devices that we sort of use in contemporary society and it could be for employment right or so we could be talking about economic opportunities or it could be opportunities to participate in the democratic process right to, to yeah. vote and to receive information be be educated it could be to create and contribute creativity in into in society and uh, you know we, we could go through the the sort of sort of list of stuff and you know i think we do an okay job um we certainly are better off than where we were before the ada was passed and before the rehab act was was passed um we we have kind of uh, kind of come a long way since then but we're always like i always kind of think we're like five years behind right we are finally getting accessibility right for the technologies that were sort of mature five years ago and getting ahead of that curve i think has been a real challenge and maybe a unique challenge in america because we drive so much innovation worldwide right so many of the platforms that we've we use you know as 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 folks have attributed to section 230 and all that sort of thing like start here in the united states um and, and so i think we're always trying to play catch up and i think that's the one piece that we had kind of figured out as a as, as a movement is like how to get ahead of the curve how to get innovators to be thinking about accessibility as part of the like minimum viable product or whatever you want to call it do you find that the conversations generally around content moderation for specific communities are more nuanced than the broader conversations that we have as a nation at large because I'm, I'm asking because you brought up 230 and that seems to be everyone's favorite punching bag yeah um no i i, I don't know i want to take any swings at, at, at 230 but yeah i mean i think i've indoctrinated are... <laughs> very well she is my former student in property mind you but like <laughs> wait wait, uh, wait wait are we wait i'm sorry what's the cool position are we pro 230 or anti 230 it's, I think the cool position is to not care about Section 230. Just be oh, like, I, just like, let everyone off. <laughs> so, so, Section but, 230 is, is last year's well, thing. Yeah, I, we're just like, oh, right. it. So. I'm cool <laughs> oh, yeah. even talking okay. about it. Until like, you need a sound bite on yeah, the news. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like Kofifi. That's not like a funny joke. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, okay, so sorry. I don't want to, I want you to let you like answer, but like one of the things that, Blake and I, I think, align on is the both the is like the over the over um, to the point about kind of limited resources is the amount of like air that Section Two Thirty debates suck out of the room when it is like literally just kind of basically taking. It's like imagine if there was like you know we have like kind of torts torts suits that got us cars to have like seat belts in them and like all kinds of safety measures like the internet has gotten there with some level of safety measures without section with without that kind of tort liability mechanism and it's like would now imposing that tort liability mechanism make cars better like i don't know like would it make the internet better like unclear like there's just kind of a now i don't know i just think that there's i think it answers a lot fewer questions i think that Blake, I don't know if I want to speak for you, but like, answer. Yeah, no, I, I, I find the the debate over Section two hundred and thirty to be kind of distracting on 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 some level because it, it occupies, I think, so much of the of the discourse around tech policy and the the you know there 
I, I think one side of why Section 230 is is awfully overwrought, I, I think you always hear, well, the, your beef is not with Section 230, it's with the First Amendment, right? And it's really yes. the First Amendment that is causing yes. all these problems. That's exactly I think, right. I, but yes. I think they, I, the, they, hate, they hate our freedom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're, so there's the kind of libertarian version of that. Yeah. I think the, the sort of progressive version of the problem with 230 is like, yeah, 230 might hypothetically get in the way, but we actually haven't thought or, or, or pushed to apply all of the sort of laws, civil rights laws, among others, that we applied in the pre-internet world to the internet. And what do the contours of that look like? And, you know, what do we mean when we say don't discriminate on, on, the, on the internet? And accessibility is one place where it's like, the what non-discrimination means is actually really complicated is building something and i kind of look at section 230 i'm like that is that just doesn't even like begin to sort of answer the questions other than sort of you know letting tech companies off the off the hook for some aspects of it in in a way that's you know not all that not all that helpful but it's also not like the biggest problem if that if that makes any sense yeah 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 but can we get back to disability um, yeah because we were um um so a gdf um could could you repeat your question because i don't feel like i, I yeah i know yeah I'm sorry, sorry. I got I like, sorry. That, no my 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 question was do you find that the conversations around content moderation are more nuanced within the specific communities um particularly because there's advocacy on specific points yeah yeah. So, I mean, this is a, I, I think about like my my role in these conversations, I get anxious about like commenting on on the culture of of communities. I feel like your question is sort That's of fair. rooted in what, uh, you know, how do different communities approach that? I, I, I will just say there are hugely active subcultures on all of the major platforms where issues facing you know all of the disability communities get litigated and get get debated and i think a lot of the conversations about language you know how do we how do we talk about disability as an identity how do we talk about you know the right way to to refer to these things all, all those sorts mm -hmm. of questions i think get litigated on on these platforms forms in a you know in the same way that uh, that i guess all all of our cultural questions kind of get get mediated through or filtered through through these platforms i, I feel a little anxious like being too much more detailed <laughs> than that just uh, I, I feel no, like it's I understand. kind of a place but yeah um i was gonna ask like a really hard-hitting question about um the deaf community which is like very actually um does it involve elliptical curves no it, 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 are you we sure last chance scott no okay <laughs> oh, um yeah we, we could have spent the next hour on on elliptical curves the last go ahead kate i was gonna say that like so anyway so rochester where i grew up has the rit has a really profound and what i'm actually like a number of my my like a my cousins or like my second cousins, I guess whatever that is, but are, are are deaf, and there is a very profound community of like uh like the deaf community is very large and active in Rochester, and then there is this huge um debate around cochlear implants mm, and yeah. that kind of issue, and um I was thinking like that type of debate has always been really, I've like never really understood it entirely. Um, and that, so I'm not explain, expecting you to explain it to me, but um, I was gonna say, you can answer that question or you can talk about whether or not you are disabled as a genetic non-taster, which is why you like ketchup so much. So those are your choices. Um, and so, yeah. So if, for those of you who don't know, Blake has, which you should follow him on Twitter, he is hilarious, um, but Blake, has a a love of ketchup that is preternatural and amazing um and he puts it on everything and like he made this incredible video at the beginning of the pandemic of him making a ketchup cake i kid you not it was like a cake with ketchup and it had like a half a cup of ketchup in it right you said it was like yeah, normal taste I, I'm, now. I'm gonna i'm gonna just like spoil a sweet cake i'm gonna yes. spoil your your introduction of the ketchup like a red velvet cake 
topic and, and answer your your first question first. I was going to say, like honestly, I did not know about this. Why? Why we've been talking about disability when we could have been talking, talking about catch up? I, I mean, mean I, and this video. I mean, look, I um, know this all it, the stuff. So, this is a okay answer the question but please for god's sake we'll circle back to the catch-up we've we've got 20 27 minutes i I promise i'll I'll, I'll find my way back um so on that first question um just for for folks that are not familiar with that debate i you know i i I, again want to be like careful in how i i characterize it but there's a debate among the in the community and i think you know, it kind of gets into the folks who identify as deaf, like a capital D deaf as as part of their identity um, and what it means to uh, to get a cochlear implant um, versus and, and I don't think these things are necessarily in opposition, but, you know, do you. Uh, do you sort of not do that and embrace the you know the the uh, using uh using asl and um and 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 not getting a cochlear implant um and i think i i'll just say that it kind of feeds back into this long running characterization of disability under what we call the medical model right which is like to treat disability as a condition to be cured and what scholars have have supplanted that with, and again, I'm like way oversimplifying here, so so please forgive me if they're if they're experts in the in the room on this. But we replace it with a social model, right, where we think of disability as a function of social barriers, right. In other words, that society has constructed activities and you know services and things people do and products and so forth in ways um, that are that are inaccessible to them, and so that to think about you know, a disability as a medical condition is really like letting society off the hook, right? And and it's treating a person with a disability as, you know, the problem when really it's the problem is with society, right? So I think cochlear implants sort of get to the heart of that, right? Because it's like, it, it is medicalization on some level, right? It's It's sort of saying like, deafness is a thing that can be overcome with this technological, you know, call it a, call it a, a, you know, a a device or widget or whatever. Um, And, and how do we, how do we feel about that? And how does the community feel about that? So I don't have any like answer to that question other than to say, like, it's a really, I think, important, um, important conversation. Um, And and maybe a more contemporary one. I I would love to like plug the work of Liz Jackson at Elise Jackson on Twitter. Um, She is super rad. I I think she lives in in your neck of the woods, Kate. Um, uh, She's an accessibility activist. And she just coined the term disability dongle. Have you guys ever heard this one? The, the idea of like, we're going to solve uh, an accessibility problem by like creating this device that a person with a disability is going to use to like navigate around the societal barrier. And so the classic one is like people will come up with these, like instead of building a ramp up to a building that you can use any wheelchair on, um, people will create these like really elaborate, like, you know, tank looking like robot wheelchairs to climb up stairs right that are like totally impractical the boston dynamics things and stuff yeah all that's all that kind of stuff right or it's like or let's use augmented reality to put captions over people's faces like those those kind of things um so encourage folks who who find these dynamics interesting like go check out liz um she's she's a good chronicler of the like disability dongle dynamic and how that like sort of centers like medicalization and um, rather than thinking about social barriers as the uh, as the problem, so that's that's a good resource there. All right, let's get to catch up. Uh, <laughs> like, do you want to like restate the question? Yeah. Like, okay. I, so I really like. Okay. So, like, what do you really like, want to know? When did it all begin? What was like? There was a moment on Twitter. I think it was it was before the pandemic, but then it definitely accentuated in lockdown in which you were just like the ketchup king and there was kind of like and you would post these controversial videos of like 
a bowl of edamame and tuna fish and corn and that, like that was a that was rice. a later one and there wasn't any what corn the fuck in it. was that and it was like drizzled with ketchup like the sauce was ketchup and like that, people were that, horrified that and, one was really upsetting i don't know why people got so upset i think it was because i used like tuna fish like tomato no, no, it, and it, tuna. It, it, it wasn't that it was because it was like it was really like well lit and it was kind of glossy and i used like the vivid filter so it was like really bright red ketchup and like really bright yellow mac and cheese and like really bright green oh there was mac and cheese i forgot the mac and cheese so silly of me (laughs) the mac and cheese and tuna and edamame and corn all in the thing drizzled with ketchup no blake it had yeah, nothing people were to do like with legit upset about that one yeah <laughs> nothing was, to do with the filter <laughs> i just went and immediately followed you but like, yes. <laughs> because like how is this how is it how is how is it the case that i'm finding out about this right now because this is genius um you are a person way ahead of it's your It's not time. a bit, though, Scott. He actually well, no, I mean, the stuff. Okay, so, like, let's yeah, let's correct the record. It. Like, it's it's kind of a bit, right? So, like, I, I kind of had this realization, and I actually, like, I really love this about Twitter. Like, I find this to be, like, an endearing feature of Twitter, that there's certain topics, and it's, like, pick any area of pop culture, but, like, food especially, where people will just, like, get hyper upset and like amped about their opinions paella. about something and paella, paella right? I, like, like, I never i i was like this close to being canceled Wait, yeah right like, over, like that would, would be the perfect take that would be there's the perfect troll. like denver has the best paella right no i said that paella was i thought the most open paella is very oh, i do remember you saying this and okay. it was oh, really yeah. interesting and, controversial and that, the hatred the hatred that yeah it's just uh scott even restating that you're living on the edge i know i i, <laughs> I, I feel very safe here because i don't put ketchup on everything though i'm a huge ketchup fan and i think although i don't do this and i think of it as a character flaw ketchup <laughs> on pasta is good what the oh, yeah. fuck is wrong with you people? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right, on, on mac and cheese. Like yeah, well, mac is... and cheese is extremely good, but that's like that's like that's like so decadent that I can't even I can't even do it. Oh, okay, so so here's the thing that happens and and, and like, like the this pi- is like Rick Santorum's nightmare. It's like two men running off and getting married <laughs> and putting ketchup on everything. <laughs> Uh, on paella perhaps right <laughs> like maybe that would make it better i don't know that's the thing is when i th- when i hear santorum i don't think ketchup oh yeah the, the, the dance Savage thing. Oh, yeah. um yeah so so like well actually like what just happened here is like the perfect reason why, why this got funny because I, I realized there's like three or four of these topics that are just perennial like fire starters for people and they just like bring out the passion right and it's ketchup bagels pizza like those three and there's some others like paella is a great one like scott you're really like innovating on this front Um, (laughs) can i say something the most engagement i ever got from a tweet was when i had them vote on the best rice Okay. Oh, actually, okay. Yeah, rice. Rice is a good one too. Right, yeah, right, right. But the thing is, okay, okay. I'm going to see if you can get the right answer here. I gave four choices. Okay, it was. Oh, well, poll is a good way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, right. It was a poll because it's objective and scientific, right? So it's so this paella, biryani, um, fried Ooh, rice. Biryani's good. Yeah. Yeah, fried rice or risotto. Mmm. Yeah. So. Wait, so I didn't I don't, don't what don't, yeah, don't tell me which one you picked. Tell me and both Kate and Blake, you should be able to get the right answer because who so let me say it again, okay? Biryani, risotto, fried rice, risotto, fried rice, paella. Well, isn't risotto like not not rice or something? No, no, it's, there... no, oh, it's rice. It's just like a certain type of rice. Wait, what? Oh, it's the what, other way what, around. It's what not about pasta. Those? Like, which yeah. one do we not like, or which one do we like the most? 
No, because the thing is, you, so I got 22,000 votes. <laughs> that is a great, for one day, one day. It was a one day of 22,000. But obvious, there's only one answer that's the obvious right answer. Um, that, that the obvious- What was the question about the four things though? Okay, what is the best rice dish? Oh, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Those all sound those all sound good. Like, what's the yeah? Oh my god, the, you know what? Inside track. This is upsetting. John would me. say John would say fried rice. Oh I my like god, you know what? You all are you all are disappointing me so bad, um, because Wait, you say because we're thinking about who's voting here. So China, Ch the Chinese, they're not in this. Okay, they're they're on a different. They're on oh, a, I thought they're, you were just asking my opinion. You were asking me to guess no. what one. Yeah, what oh, one? Yeah, okay. Oh, gotcha. I, that's my oh, kind of thing I over think, and over again. Oh, what one? Yeah. So, China fried rice is out. Okay, paella. Th they locked down Valencia and half of Barcelona and Madrid, but like that's a small number. Risotto is the right answer, but how many? Um, you know, like kind of coastal Americans slash Mediterranean Italians are there, you know, substantial, but, but then how many Indians are there? So that's oh, interesting. Like, so so is biryani? Biryani crushed. And I think oh. it's because of it, it, like internet access and, and just um, oh, that's so um, interesting. demographics. Um, um, well, um, see, this is like, if you had a little bit more control over your study, you would be able to know because you would have gotten secondary demographic information, Scott. So way to fuck it up. But did, did you, did you the, the real question is, did you run this through the IRB before you, yeah, I ran it through the LRB, the London Review of Books, and they were very confused. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. That's good. That's they good. love the yeah. there. It's like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> right, it's like the only thing that's edible in London. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so, so I feel like I feel like I've walked like I'm I'm outclassed on on this with with Scott Scott being here like Scott is the is the, is the master of this kind of trollery like <laughs> paella is like the is the pinnacle of this this kind of troll yeah. but like if you if you put out a question that's or something that's like even remotely controversial right like pineapple on pizza or like yeah, all yeah. bagels are the same or like especially if you insult <laughs> okay. like New that York bagels. Wrong. But, okay. but uh, like it's besides the point right like it's just a way to like you know get people to get excited about their thing or like about how grape nuts are good like that's another easy one people get really upset about grape nuts but again like, i'm going back to like you i want you to answer the question have you ever been taste tested to be a genetic <laughs> non-taster so i do have the genetic what? thing with cilantro like cilantro tastes like dish yeah. soap i can't eat cilantro yeah. so i don't know if that contributes maybe oh. it's true yeah, are you no, like that I, too scott what, no, I'm not, but I don't, I really don't want us to medicalize this. Okay, yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. We shouldn't medicalize it, but I, I'm just going to say, uh, yeah. So I have a friend who is a genetic super taster. Like, she actually got tested, and she can taste, like, xanthan gum and, like, any food oh, wow. or, like, all of those types of, like... Oh, that's brutal. So, like, yeah, so she, like, really liked this ice cream, and then they added xanthan gum to make it, like, kind of, like, a slightly better consistency. She can, like, just taste it very strong. I'm like, wow. like whatever. Okay. I know. I'm kind of, like, I'm glad that Tough that is stuff. not my lot in life. But then, like, okay, so I have to go, we have to go to Paula's question, but I'm just going to, like, put this out there, that there was this one conversation. It might have been a metaphor for something, but John and I were having a conversation. He was like, what if your best possible meal, like, the like the meal that brought you the most utils was lobster. Um, and like, then what if your meal that brought you the most utils was ramen? Like 99 cents or 10 cent ramen. Like if you were a person that would have ramen and that would make you just as happy as if you had had lobster, you are actually kind of in a better position in life than like all of the people who like need lobster in order to like get like this kind of like get this level to reach this height of satisfaction and i kind of thought that this was like i actually think about this a lot in relation i mean it's like a, it's not it's like a anyways like 
sorry. It's probably some philosophical concept I've never heard of. But I mean, yeah. I reject this form of economic analysis, but you could probably put ketchup on both of those things. I don't know if that is helpful. <laughs> Why? <laughs> so I have a relative who does, who's Canadian, who does put uh, ketchup on the lobster. Um, but I, I, would, I would say... Um, it's like a lobster roll, right? It's like the main hot dog. It's like a Chicago okay. dog, but uh, Stop it. but Stop it, Blake. what's the? I'm gonna mute you, Blake. <laughs> but, okay, okay, but I have to point out the thing that that Scott just di did there, and he's done it with both of the things. Is every time I post one of these things, it gets like even ratio, right? Like you, people get so upset about it, but then there's always this like little cre people are like, yeah, like I like ketchup on that, or like yeah, grape nuts is like my favorite cereal, and I'm like. It's it's not me, right? I'm just I, I, that's my favorite cereal too. Yeah, are, do, you, do you like it hot or cold? It serves hot. <laughs> I'm sorry. What I just, actual fuck? I just, like I, I just I, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry if you see saw me throw up in my mouth. Uh, <laughs> you said no, no, so, so you guys can't ask, try like, this because why do there's you a... make it like how do you make it hot? Do you like no? It's, it's really easy. So you, you can't try this because there's a grape nut shortage right now. So it's really hard to get grape nuts unless you know like what grocery stores like get them. But yeah, you just you put it in a in a bowl, like a little bit of milk, a little bit of honey, or like what you know whatever else you want to add to it, and then thirty seconds in the microwave. It's it's delicious. Blake has his his entire trunk is just like garbage bags filled with grape nuts. <laughs> I feel like, like in New York, you got to, you know, that episode of Seinfeld where Kramer goes to get like the, the shower heads from the van. Yeah, okay. I feel so like you got to find that the grape nuts van. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Say yeah. You got to go to the grape nuts van. We're oh. totally Allison, Paula. Poor Paula. Also, totally. Paula's flinching. Also, Paula is mentioning tomb, which I made for I made from scratch, oh, so and I gave some great. to Scott, and it was yeah. so good. It's so good. It's Hi, so Paula. So can I share my little tomb thing before I ask my question? Of course. So I was in Lebanon when I was little and my Lebanese cousins were like, we need to show you something that tastes amazing. And I'm like, they're going to show me like a really good Lebanese dish. And these like little shits like showed me ketchup with tomb. And they're like, this is what we eat. And I was like, I came from across the world. And you showed me ketchup. Like it was one of the most insane did they let me change pie? your life? And <laughs> <laughs> they cook it for it's, you on a countertop and then like find a water. It's really good, by the way. Ketchup with tomb with your french fries is amazing. Um, but my right actual on. question is when you're talking about these issues from an advocacy standpoint, is it better Catch, to ketchup or the or the other stuff? No, the other stuff. Um okay. <laughs> Is it better to talk about it as a general societal issue where these are basic things that we should have that everyone benefits from? And then it just so happens that there's a class of people who benefit more from or need them. Or is it better to specifically point out a class of people that this is designated for? Hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a super fascinating question. I mean, gosh, you take it a bunch of different directions. Um, I guess like what comes to mind for me there is I'm always really mindful or, or, or nervous about like means testing or proving uh, like things that require proving disability. And there's a there's a scholar um, you should have on the show. Okay, uh, Doran Dorfman is a oh, amazing. Yeah. I he, saw that you're speaking with him at an ISP event yeah. soon. Um, I yeah, did, and I've seen his stuff and I was like wondering about him. So, yeah, we should have him on. Yeah. Yeah, so so Dora and say I just to like tease everybody with it is like the fear of the disability con, right? And he does all this really interesting empirical stuff, and his thesis he sort of examines this notion that people are really suspicious of disability, right? And so if there's something like a parking spot that's reserved for people with disabilities close to the front oh, of the lot, or he looks at like the you know the the line at Disney World, you know, you if you um, have a disability, you can you know get, get 
get to the to the front of the line faster. Those kind of things. He analyzes like the suspicion that people have about is this person who is using this really disabled or not, right? So I'm always a little bit anxious about anything that requires like means testing or proving that you have a disability because there's often these like life admin costs that come along with with proving that and these privacy violations that come along with having that and it's important i think to like start from you know we talk about as like universal design can we make as many things as accessible to as many people as possible like that's a really good starting point on the other hand there are some things that are really personalized right that that do you know, that, that need to work for people specifically because of their disability or their combination of disabilities and their needs, right? So somebody might need a communication facilitator to help them, um, you know, uh, to, to sign on uh, through a through a relay service, or they might need, um, they might need to customize something in particular way, or they might need an individualized education plan or whatever. So I think like, we we should make affordances for our, our our room for customization and that kind of thing when we need it, but also we got to start with with precepts of universal design and try as hard as we can up front to be as accessible as we can, if that makes any <clears throat> sense. Yeah, totally. Um, so we have seven minutes left, and there. I mean, I'm sure we could fill it all up with ketchup. But Mike Tolhurst, who is a disembodied voice, uh, has a great question. Hi, Mike. Go Hello. Good, good to see everybody. And I have to say, in terms of um, filter bubbles, I missed the ketchup discourse on Right of Center discourse. It was um, it was mayo, mayo on hot dogs. That was mayo the, is like oh. such an like as such an obvious like. I mean, That's I feel a... like mayo is old. Okay. Right. Okay. Like Man, not, was not the two thirty of yeah. of controversial food. Yeah, yeah we're just yeah. like ignoring it, like it doesn't. Yeah, sir, seriously, let's like let's. Uh, although there is there is fry. Do you guys see this thing about fry sauce today? The Spokane pizza. Do you guys know about Spokane pizza? Uh, no, I, do I yourself a things on Twitter. Go look up Spokane pizza. It's uh, it's raw. It's like super thick, like uh, pizza dough. Uh, you top it with fry sauce, which is ketchup and mayo, and you debate like what the proper proportion is. Then you do raw green peppers, on, uh, onions, canned salmon, <gasps> melted mozzarella, and then you put strawberries on the top. And I, I think authentic Spokane pizza, you also put pineapple on to sort of balance it out. But and then more fry sauce after it's baked on on the top. So um, I, I, anyway, I may, there, couldn't let the mayo discourse go by by. Okay, unpacked. sorry, it's, I, it's I do want like. Mike, you had a question before. Uh, yes, I had a before the nightmare fuel. That <laughs> the semi semi serious uh, question is is take it as you will. If you're an accessibility minded Elon Musk and you have three billion dollars to take over Twitter or some other company, what are the like the quixotic like pro accessibility things that you would like try to do? Like, so, like what is I the company and what are the things what? you would be doing? All right, I, I'm going to skip it. I'm, I'm going to like accept the, I'm not going to fight the premise of an accessibility minded Elon Musk. I feel like Elon Musk is kind of like a little bit self-absorbed and this question might not occur to him, but I, I'll, I'll take the, whoa, the question. Whoa, it's, it, whoa. <laughs> not. I know, shots fired, right? Yeah, Elon Musk is, he's, he's like, he's like our Da Vinci. Uh, I think, I think R is doing a lot of work there or Da Vinci or maybe both, but, uh, okay. Um, that is a fantastic, a fantastic question. Seriously. Like what would, if we, if we really got to sort of like turn the knobs up on accessibility yeah. with an unlimited amount of money, like that's a, that's a great question. Cause money is often sort of the, the barrier. Um, so the biggest thing I think about on social media platforms is, authoring tools and make and and actually like twitter has been doing fantastic work on this with alt text recently so like next time you're on twitter you can actually now see if people have put alt text on an image and you can click the little alt button or tap it depending on what platform you're on and actually see what other people are doing with alt text and suddenly it's like everybody gets to see that as part of the content at least if they if they go to the trouble so people are going to get better at writing alt text not only are they going to be more likely to do it but they're going 
kind of see it. So that's that's pretty cool. But I think these kind of authoring tool questions are the place where a lot of money could get spent. Like what sort of nudging, what sort of friction can you add when people are posting a tweet or like I'm I'm old. I don't know what like the right verb is for TikTok when they like you know, they like, what, what is it? What do you do to a TikTok to like, you tick it? Are you setting me up with that? I don't, yeah, I, don't I, I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. So when, when you, when you uh, materialize a TikTok, however that happens, um, like, are you prompted to add closed captions to it? Right. Like, are you, um, do you get sort of nudged along the way to, uh, to do that? I think those kind of features are the kind of thing where if I could go and wave a magic wand at all the big like social companies and like Twitter in particular, and there are awesome folks at Twitter, like Twitter has, has started to get religion on this for sure. Um, but to say like, just keep putting the pedal to the floor on authoring tools. And every time you're experimenting with, you know, they, they did a good job with this with spaces. They added auto captions to, to spaces, that kind of thing. But every time you kind of think of a new medium where people are authoring stuff, what is, how can you turn that up to the max to make sure they're making it accessible to the broadest number of people? That's a great I question. Lo I love this answer though, too, because it gives me something to take into all my meetings with people at the companies and be like, you want to do something that is not going to cost you a ton of, like, or like, it might cost you a well, lot. But, of, it, a but it is like, there is cost though, right? It's, fr it's like, extra but, friction. But, but there is a huge, there is a huge avenues we've talked about a lot blake there's a huge avenue in which content moderation workers are being cycled out for algorithmic and ai types of like things and so like repurposing people to write thoughtful captions or to write alt text for like for things is like really great like that would be a great repurposing of human labor like like i think that that's like a really it's a and it's like less costly than like having them stare at like decapitated humans all the time like or even do like a wikipedia version and like you can correct incorrect ca closed captioning like as a viewer instead of having uh, although yeah that's a no, great so point it, it's a it's a great idea, right? Um, although there, then you start to get into the content moderation issues and vandalism and all of that kind of stuff for sure. the accessibility features. Like, yeah, what, what about section two thirty? Yeah, uh, yeah it, it comes up, right? I mean, there there are starting to be cases around. You know, can you get held liable for the inaccessibility of third party content? It's a it is a two thirty question for sure. Um, but I I think the ultimate goal of all this stuff is to get people who are authoring stuff, and that's everybody on Twitter to think yeah. about. Who is who is in my audience? Who am I communicating with? And it's not just if I'm not if I don't have a disability. It's not just you know people who don't have disabilities. It's like there might be folks who are deaf or hard of hearing, and there might be folks that are blind or visually impaired. Might be folks who are cognitive have a cognitive or intellectual disability. And like I want to communicate with them, and I want to I want my content to be you know experienced by them, and I likewise want to engage with creators with disabilities. So I think it's like bringing the sort of creative you know, energy around all these platforms and, and, and making accessibility part of that. It's a great, it's a great, great, great point. I like also just want to say that like, there are moments I think in cultural history that do generate like sua sponte empathy that people are like forcing people out. So there was a moment many years ago that no one probably remembers but me, but like all of the photos on Instagram got replaced by alt text. And mm -hmm. it was just like yeah. a bug that happened for everyone. And everyone was kind of like, why am I looking at dog picture? Like, or cat picture, like that's all it said. Are, you you get like, the bad, like, like auto-described ones. Yeah, you're like, yeah. Oh, this is shitty. This doesn't even marginally describe what's going on in the picture. And then like, the other th moment is like all of the, the 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 proliferation of TikTok meant that there are so many people lying in bed while their partner is sleeping and they wanted to watch these TikTok videos and they didn't have headphones in and they still wanted to know what's going on. So like the, the captioning of things and like the auto voice type of recognition became like or super blind and deaf people became like these really duragor kind of like elements that TikTok just built into its infrastructure. Yeah, it's like the positive externalities of accessibility, right? 100%. So I think that that's, I think it's a great kind of positive place to end on. But Blake, come can back I, can anytime. I make a, can I make a plug before we go? For everyone that's out ketchup? there. 
no well yeah okay. put ketchup on everything it's delicious check out my youtube on that front but no go <laughs> home tonight like whatever platform you use for social or video and try and turn on captions try and turn on audio description try and look at the alt text and and try and if you're not a person who who uses those things on a regular basis and check it out and and you will get a sense really fast of where things are okay and where things are uh, have gaps so so really really try and do that tonight yeah really wonderful like it was so great to see you um we're gonna leave it there uh we will be back on friday uh i don't know ben is out for theater i think it's passover are you uh, i think that maybe are you gonna also be out scott maybe on friday i don't know anyways we'll figure it out there may or may not be a show it might just he's be getting Genevieve as like I'm like the wasp and the Catholic. So like, it's just kind of like hanging out before Easter. <laughs> so, uh, um, but either way, um, we'll be back eventually. And <laughs> um, we don't have fun anymore, but wait, hold on. I fucked it up. Wait, Scott, fix it. <laughs> what did I have to say? Yeah, we'll be back in many hours and and less than 60 minutes um, from now um, but until then we can't have fun anymore but gds in lieu of fun we have many many condiments <laughs> and um a little bit of homework to turn on accessibility options bye bye, bye guys. Thank you. <laughs> bye everyone. thanks guys it was nice to meet you scott <laughs>